0: The score! Ladies and gentlemen, joining us now is a man who's got a massive brain.
1: Mike Florio.
0: He
2: used to be a lawyer, then he decided to take his talents to the internet.
1: NBC Sports. I'm sorry I'm late, I was talking to Robert Kraft. Pro Football Talk. I wouldn't listen to some of those people out there, especially guys like Mike Florio. Mike Florio with Bernstein, Holmes, and Rahimi on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Mike Florio joins us on the Score Hotline, presented by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. and these are interesting times, as always, in the NFL, and the, I guess the question is, do we have any further clarity from any of your league or union side sources as to how this, this schedule now is going to be figured out and all these permutations uh, somehow adjudicated?
2: You know, it was Early Tuesday morning, just after midnight, that the league held a conference call, and Jeff Miller, the chief PR executive for the league, said that decisions will be made at the appropriate time. The problem is time is going to make some decisions. And uh, by yesterday, they realized we can't play Bills Bengals this week, and that's what they announced. They've announced no other changes. I find it very hard to believe they're going to play Bill Bang- Bills Bengals at all. I-, I just can't envision that game happening again as part of the remaining regular season schedule. I think they just need to move forward with week eighteen. They need to do the playoff seating based upon winning percentages and not try to to force that game into the schedule. There's one idea that I've heard is being kicked around of playing week eighteen now, playing the NFC wild card round next weekend along with Bills Bengals, the AFC wild card round the following weekend Divisional round after that, conference championships, then Super Bowl with the week off eliminated. That's one idea I've heard. But again, that would require Bills Bengals to be played. And I just, I have a hard time envisioning that game happening uh, the farther we get away from that incident.
3: I also want to talk to you, you having worked for a network for many years, about the significance of the dialogue that's going on right now from people at ESPN and the NFL based on the initial five-minute assessment. And I don't think we've done as good of a job as we could have of explaining the importance of the league partner having to say that and what that really means as far as how terse this discussion between that piece of information might be.
2: Well, and I've struggled with this one because yesterday the main focus was DeMar Hamlin's health, but – people who are interested in what occurred i think had natural interest in how we got from the injury to the cancellation and where were the pressure points what was the dialogue when did someone realize we can't play this game and did someone try to say we need to play this game before that and apparently someone did that five minutes didn't just get pulled out of thin air by espn and they've said enough either By quotes from Joe Buck to the New York Post or the statement that was issued by ESPN to make it clear, they didn't just make this up. Someone with the league told them there was going to be a five minute warm up period and they were going to continue to play the game. What complicated matters was the NFL Executive VP of Football Operations, Troy Vincent, on that same conference call I mentioned, being very adamant I don't know where the five minutes came from. It's ridiculous. It's insensitive. It's not anything we would have ever done. I think he drew a line too firmly in the sand and left no wiggle room for something like this. Well, this is our standard practice when we have an unexpected delay, whether it's because of weather conditions, whether it's because of games that overlap in national windows and we don't want to start one until the other one is finished, whether there's an injury that requires a certain period of time before the situation is fully resolved. Five-minute warm-up is just what we do, and that's what we were going to do here until we realized we probably shouldn't play the game at all. That would have been easier for everyone to back away from, but I think right now everyone just would prefer that we all stop talking about it and move on so there isn't a full-blown fight between ESPN and NFL because well, we've seen it time and again. And I even have to have this flash through my brain as an NBC employee when I talk about it. You know, the, the broadcast partners tiptoe on eggshells from time to time with the NFL. And that's just the reality. And you know, should I say that? I don't know, but it's true. They tiptoe on eggshells. And I think that will keep this from becoming a bigger issue, even though I think at the end of the day, if we were to run this rabbit hole all the way to the bottom, we would learn that everything ESPN said was 100% accurate and that there was going to be a resumption of play. There was going to be a five-minute warm-up until somebody said, we just can't do this. And there's going to be an interesting story to tell by someone on how we went from that to the game not being played at all.
3: I agree, because even when you're broadcasting regarding a simple thing as a rain delay, you're still not saying anything, especially in a situation that's going to be that sensitive. You're not giving any concrete information like that unless you're told it by somebody who is in the position to tell you so you can be confident in what you're relaying.
2: Absolutely. And John Perry, the former NFL referee, was in direct contact with the league office with the command center at 345 Park Avenue. That's something Joe Buck said when the players started to go to the locker room. So that implies a lot. It implies that Perry had been in touch with them when the word was that it's five minutes, just as he was in touch with them when the word was they're going to the locker rooms. And look, it's fine. People were trying to figure out the right thing to do in real time, but, I don't know why the NFL would have been so strident in denying that there was ever a contemplation to try to play the game other than to avoid any and all hint of potential criticism and insensitivity to the idea that they were going to try to play. But that's okay if it's your standard protocol. There's no rule book for an unprecedented situation. And we're going to kind of make it up as we go. And they ultimately got to the right place.
1: I'm rolling my eyes. And I spent some time talking about this earlier today, Mike, that this of all things is once again being used as a jumping off point for larger NFL think pieces about a reckoning with the dangers of the NFL when when I listen to cardiologists and emergency specialists and doctors talk about the likelihood that this was commotio cordis, that really the, the sports you want to wage war on are youth baseball, youth softball, youth lacrosse, and youth hockey because of how unbelievable. Unbelievably rare and unlucky, this particular injury was. You want to cancel football? You want to say football's barbaric and awful? That's fine. I'll I'll find something else to do, and I'll be miserable about it because I love football. But it's it's flatly factually wrong to jump to these larger conclusions because of this specific occurrence.
2: Well, you're absolutely right. And look, the first thing I thought of was that pad that my son used to wear on his sternum when he played youth baseball because it's not nearly as rare occurrence when a young boy or girl get hit in the chest with a line drive playing baseball Mm-hmm. It happens,
1: or hit with a uh, bat, or hit, I mean, it can happen. You can get an elbow in basketball, even. I mean, just the timing of where the heart is in its rhythm, and in between that third and fourth rib, and 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 young people just don't have the the beef to insulate against some of this stuff.
2: But here's the difference: we all know that there are potential fringes of the radar screen that include serious health outcomes for anyone who plays football at any level. It's one thing to know it in theory. It's another thing to have a collective, shared, 20-plus-million-person experience where we all see it happen. It's the video that changes everything. We know that Corey Stringer died as a result of heat stroke at Vikings training camp in August of 2001, but we didn't see it. There's an element of seeing it. It's back to the Ray Rice situation. Until we saw it, we weren't as horrified as we should have been all along because we knew what happened. But when you see it, it changes everything. And that's why I think one of the real concerns for all NFL players is when it's time to go back on the field, are you ready? Have you processed this? Are you okay with this? Have you understood that it is an extremely rare thing? It's not just going to be this random act that's going to descend upon you next. And I think family members need to come to grips with that. Players need to come to grips with it. And that's why I think it's so important to have mental health services available, not just for Bills and Bengals players, but for all players.
3: Mike, what is Jim Harbaugh doing?
2: Maximizing his leverage, I think. (laughs) think Nothing wrong with having a couple of multi-billionaires vying for your services. And if you're going to have two teams that want you, the Broncos and the Panthers are the best, too, because they have the two richest ownership groups by far in the NFL currently. I I think that he wants to come back to the NFL. He can say he's staying in Michigan or I think I'm going to stay, but no one knows what the future holds, whatever the hell that means. He has said the Super Bowl is the ultimate prize, and they don't give out a Lombardi trophy for anything you do at the college level. And he almost treated winning a college championship as like an acceptable plan B. He wants to take care of what he's called unfinished business. His brother has a Super Bowl ring. He wants a Super Bowl ring. I mean, this is Cain and Abel stuff at its core. He wants that Super Bowl ring. So I think he's in play. The question is where, and of the three current vacancies, two teams have been linked to him, and the third team is in their ring of honor for crying out loud. I mean, if Jim Ursay's hung up on getting a former player to coach the team, I'd say Jim Harbaugh makes a hell of a lot more sense than Jeff Saturday. So, I think Harbaugh's in play, and it's going to be interesting to see what happens.
3: But then he can't reinvent the wheel or say that's, that's hiring somebody with experience. What's the fun in that?
2: Yeah, nothing outside the box. Uh, or and, and, you know, let me let me say this as well. It's entirely possible that the phone call won't be made by Jim Ursay to Jim Harbaugh because Harbaugh knows Jim Ursay well enough to not be interested in that job. Because I think that Harbaugh believes he can fix bad roster, bad quarterback, bad whatever, but he can't fix bad ownership.
1: Well, we had one of uh, Harbaugh's friends on yesterday. Hub Arkish, joined us and he said he's recently been in touch with Harbaugh and he believes, this is this was Hub's interpretation, he thinks that had Michigan won the championship, he would be Harbaugh would be more likely to make that jump to the NFL that the only thing that would keep him sort of tied to this job is this idea of unfinished business and maybe a little
2: bit of old school loyalty? Well, where's your unfinished business more pressing? And where do you think you've got a greater chance to stack the deck in your favor? Now, the Athletic had a report that if he gets offered any NFL job, he'll take it. I don't know that I agree with that because my belief is he doesn't want bad ownership or bad GM. Remember in San Francisco, he and Trent Baalke were at odds constantly. And people try to blame it on Harbaugh. It's like, hey, wait a minute. His brother's been in Baltimore since 2008. They've figured out how to navigate his personality, and he's every bit as intense and standoffish and just over-the-top, old-school, kick-butt football coach as Jim Harbaugh is. And You know, I've said this multiple times this week on PFT Live. The idea that... If you're going to rise to a level of success in any profession, for a significant percentage of the folks who manage to do it, there are some objectively disagreeable personality traits, some trouble working and playing well with others, some fights in the sandbox. You've got some type A personalities that want to take over and do and say kooky things that, that rub people the wrong way. So you either accept that and work with it and understand it's going to lead you in this context to having a great football team, or you have a nice guy who goes 7-10 every year. Uh, you know what's what's ownership going to want? What's the fan base going to want? They're going to want you to have the better football coach and figure out how to to work with him the right way in order to get the best possible results.
1: I know you only have about uh, a minute or so left here, but when you talk about the Cain and Abel and, and and raise that imagery between Jim and John Harbaugh, I'm now remembering, wasn't there in their in their shared childhood bedroom? Do you remember a story where they literally put masking tape down like on the Brady Bunch like your side is this and my side is this and they had like a demilitarized zone that what you're describing really was true between them.
2: Yeah, that was an old happy days plot yeah, line we, I but, think it popped up right. in a bunch of but I remember a lengthy profile on them from Sports Illustrated where there there was a pine tree in the front yard that they they, you know, who's going to be the first one to throw the football over the pine tree? And I think they had video games, and one beat the other. And so I assume it was Jim that, like, threw the entire unit down into a ravine behind their house. And and, and it is great. And this this is an explanation for why Jim Harbaugh typically wears out his welcome. And that's been his, his MO before Michigan. There was a great story that Andrea Kramer told on uh, a real sports profile of Jim Harbaugh years ago, where when they were kids, Jack was a – their dad was a college football coach, and they would move every few years. And Jim was never upset with that because he ran out of friends by the time Jack found a new job. So Jim Jim welcomed the change of address. He could have a new batch of friends. He'd eventually alienate with his personality. <laughs>
1: Mike, <laughs> thanks so much. Appreciate it. We'll talk next week. See ya. Mike Florio of Pro Football Talk. <laughs> it's one of the funniest things he's ever said. It's also terribly sad. We I mean, think that the, the Jim Harbaugh like he waited for his dad to move because he'd used up all the potential friends.
3: I think it's, he's doing all right. I
1: know he is, but still isn't that isn't that kind of awful?
3: Oh yeah, it is bad. But sometimes you got to look in the mirror too. I know nobody has it better than them, but still. I guess. Also the concept of TCU fans bragging about running Jim Harbaugh out of college football does not sit well with me. They were all and at the I bar like with TCU.
1: Me. The TCU fans were all at the bar with me at the Esperanza. I don't know where they came from, but they descended on the palapa and they took it over and they could not process the idea that I wasn't rooting for either one of the teams. Yeah. Your TCU guy. No, you're a Michigan guy. no, just watching the game because it's, it's an important college football I, game. And I
3: didn't think TCU was going to win. And
1: it, of course not, because they're not as good. They,
3: their last game was bad.
1: But they got so mad at me where, where they said, "Are you big college football?" And I'm like, "Not really." And I kind of said, "I'm not a real big fan of either one of these quarterbacks." And then all the all the Sam Duggan people were like, oh, oh, oh "He's great, Max? Sam Max Max Duggan. Oh, he's great. He's terrific. He's face whatever." And I'm like, "No, he's okay. Like he's not. He's fine. He's a college quarterback. He was." He was the backup to start the year for a reason, you know, but ooh, they, they didn't like hearing that because I guess that guy can do no wrong in the eyes of some way. Is Dallas, is that where TCU is? Or Worth. Worth. If you had
3: said that, that would have also bothered them. I, I wish probably.
1: you had. <laughs> Are you guys from Dallas? What? Dallas? Hell no. Uh, ne- describe what you want to discuss regarding the Bears next because I teased it, but I want to make sure I get it uh, just right.
3: Winter is coming.
1: not already here yet no oh great next call from mom answer it call silenced instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game that's why they make ordering from your couch easy stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game
4: you have 47
5: new voicemails
0: Bernstein and Holmes, Middays 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670
2: The Score and 670thescore.com and Odyssey
1: Station. We're going to take the North and never
2: give it back. Okay.
1: That'll be nice when you can get on with that. Now, I want to preface this segment because I know where we're going here. And I will say, on balance, full end of everything, weighing positives, negatives, If in fact the bears successfully lose this game Sunday and secure either the number one or two pick while knowing that they have their quarterback this year so far on balance is a success now, because that's, that's, that's great. Now it's, it's really being honest about what's next that takes away some of the pleasure in that declaration of success.
3: And that's it. To me, we're to the point where you have to say to yourself, how long is that rebuild going to last? And I thought about the amount of time that we saw Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy ultimately in their jobs. Pace is the real indicator here. And to hear when George McCaskey said things, for example, like, oh, he's learning on the job. And at that point, was he in year five? You shouldn't still be learning to that extent on the job. Like the learning curve should have caught up. To that was a bad hire. At a certain time. But is that what you're looking at as an organization when it comes to the timeline you set forth with this current regime? Because I think a lot of us seem to forget. Ryan Poles has one draft where he didn't have the ideal amount of picks. But if you're trying to rebuild a team in this NFL and in these streets with this rookie contract with Justin Fields, your quarterback, then we have to acknowledge that one draft is already under his belt. And that's part of this. You have to consider that when judging him.
1: It's more than that. And and he's traded essentially what is now with every day that goes by becoming a, a more and more valuable second-round pick for a wide receiver who can't get on the field and isn't making a whole lot of friends.
3: Who was an enigma in a place where they have established coaching and procedure and remains one here and usually you'd see the change of scenery start to make a little sense now i understand justin field talks about it earlier he wasn't on the field because of injury concerns early and how that that time in practice should help but there's no substitute for game experience Let's extrapolate that to what you're seeing between those two. It shouldn't take off seasons to develop that either. I understand with Mooney, that was a different thing because Fields didn't have that game experience with him. And he didn't have that training camp experience. But this, this should have come on a little bit sooner, in my opinion. And I wanted the Bears to draft Chase Claypool over Cole Komet. That was my choice. But that's also Ryan Paul's falling in love with what he saw as a scout. And how do you balance that? Dan Wiederer had some really pointed comments on Mully and Haw this morning. Don't think of it as Dan Wiederer being negative. Think of it as everybody wanting the same thing and trying to figure out how long exactly that should take.
4: I think what's troubling and problematic within this season is they have not added a whole lot of pieces. You had opportunities. I understand that you didn't have the same draft capital and the same salary cap space in 2022 to make major strides in your roster build, but they they missed on a lot of different things. And some of the dice rolls they've taken – have just crapped out immediately. And, and so you, you just aren't in a position where you feel like you've made a ton of progress in this season outside of the playmaking artistry of, of, of just in fields. I mean, look, I, like I ran some numbers yesterday for something I'm working on. They can't stop the run. They're 31st in the league, stopping the run. Only the Texans are worse. They can't rush the passer. They've got 20 sacks. No one in the NFL has fewer than 20 sacks. They can't throw the football. Not only are they last in the league, but they'd have to be 60% better as a passing offense to crack the top 20. They can't protect the quarterback. They've given up 57 sacks this year, and only the Broncos and Colts are worse. And so you're looking at foundational things that a successful football team must do. Stop the run, rush the passer, throw the football, protect the quarterback. And you can't check a single one of those boxes. And you also have to just dream – about potential new players that you don't have yet to think that those things are going to get fixed quickly. So, David, I mean, in, in, in a roundabout way to answer your question, I don't know, like I think most of us, I don't know where you guys were with your preseason record projection, but I was at 6-11. and 11. Mm-hmm. They're going to finish three games short of that, and, and it's just kind of shrugged off like, oh, well, what, what's the difference between 3-14 and 14 and 6-11? and 11? Well, there's a big difference. And so next year, when you make the climb back to 6-11, and 11, it's going to be significant progress, but it's not going to feel like it because you didn't get done in 2022 some of the things that could have gotten done within the season.
1: That's Dan Weederer and I, I find it interesting that 6-11, and 11, most people had them at 3 or 4 at the most. Oh. At, at least nationally. At least nationally, many, many, many people, and it, and, it, and it bothered people in Chicago, and I told them at the time it shouldn't, but many people had them as, if not the worst team, one of the three worst teams in the league, just looking at what the roster was.
3: It wasn't You're just right. that though. I think people still thought that the the Lions games would be wins that they didn't take them seriously. You probably think one of those Vikings games is a win because that's that's previous NFL think. So I I think there were more than a few people who had them at at five wins maybe. Six is being optimistic. Six is a lot. But when you consider how people think of certain teams like say the Lions, then it would start to make sense. And there's also a couple of games that, frankly, were lost by the Bears practically on purpose when you think of Amir Smith-Marset or when you think of how Darnell Mooney could have Mm -hmm. caught that ball against Washington. So those things factor in. But either way, you're asking Ryan Poles to have one of the best offseasons that practically any NFL team has had recently to get them to a certain point of competing. And I don't know that that's fair to him, but I do think you have to factor in what he's putting together currently, and that started when he got the job in the previous draft.
1: He has always said, and he's been very consistent about saying he's never going to sacrifice the future for short-term fleeting pleasures of, of the present.
3: And that's fine. I appreciate the mission statement. I appreciate how much he's talked I think that that's good, what we've seen out of him as far as optics are concerned. But I also think you have to consider what happened in this most recent draft.
1: Yeah, And and even if you think that Braxton Jones is okay, even if you think he's an NFL player, he is not a starting left tackle on a good team. And I haven't seen enough to think that he, that even to put the ceiling up there, he's going to get stronger, and that's really important, but there's a reason why he was a, a fifth-round pick from a, a smaller school, and it's a victory for him if he becomes a rotational NFL offensive line or a swing tackle. That's a huge deal for a fifth-round pick. Just like if Jack Sanborn can become a fourth linebacker, that's a big deal. So to, they're rebuilding an offensive line. They're rebuilding an entire front seven entirely four down linemen and three backers that you're going to need to, to have guys there who are so much better than what you have.
3: And he's going to have to be judged on some of these decisions, like essentially giving up Roquan Smith for Chase Claypool. That has to be something that is on his record because he doesn't give away that draft pick for Chase Claypool. I don't think unless He had the one for Roquan Smith. Well, that was,
1: he actually gave up the Bears' own pick. I
3: know. But to me, that didn't happen unless the other one happened first.
1: To just get a second? Yeah.
3: But either way, that's now a first-round pick when you consider what's going on with the Dolphins and their lack of. So, factor that in, too. And to me, when people say, oh, this is what he had, it is true. He had to make a lot of salary cap room up. But he also has multiple-year contracts to some of these players who I don't know how they're going to see the field. Think about the line contracts he signed people to. You could have chosen a more aggressive path with rebuilding this around Justin Fields had you wanted to. You, You took a flyer on Bayless Jones, for example. That's your first offensive pick. I don't care that he's in the third round. It was still conceptual based on what you knew about him as a player even then.
1: Yeah, he's, he's bothering me with his recent solid performance as a kick returner, and he had, he did have the one nice catch down the field, that sort of Taylor Gabriel-looking catch that he had, and it's just enough that he's probably earned another look next year, which might be enough to just trust him enough that he's going to fumble and lose a game for you.
3: But there could have been more receiver support as a whole because that whole position group was turning over the way it was, except for guys like Mooney. I like the development I've seen out of Komet given what we've known.
1: But we still know also what he isn't, and that's okay. That's, that's part of development, part of scouting, to know that he's not going to be a, a game-changing move tight end.
3: But to, to address the offensive line in the way he has, I don't think we can state it enough right now because games mess with your head. That line is the reason this offense isn't producing when you're when you're getting sacked as many times as you have completions, I would be afraid to throw the ball too.
1: A wise man once told me, "You show me a bad offensive line, I will show you a bad offensive coordinator."
3: But that bad <laughs> offensive line was put in place by him.
1: Mm-hmm. And he knew, and he's the offensive line guy. Maybe he's just adding the pressure to himself to fix it.
3: I'm not saying light anybody on fire.
1: Oh, but I'm saying you're not. That, no. Okay, damn. Okay, but
3: I am saying that this is. This is whether or not you like it. We're almost two year here and that year very much includes decisions that if you think about it in a 6-year term are a considerable portion of the term for this person and this regime.
1: That's Layla Rahimi in for the vacationing Lawrence Holmes. I'm Dan Bernstein when we come back, we've got high noon for you. I've got birds in weird places.
3: I don't know that this story is safe for work, but we're going to try. <laughs>
1: Burstein and Holmes, middays 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. I'll be back this way on Monday. We'll settle this then. Right there, out in the street, in front of the Palace Saloon. Yeah, right.
5: When? High noon?
1: This is high noon, and we do it most days at this time. We tell you what we've been talking about. I mentioned that you can blame football for a lot of things because football is whatever you want to call it. You're right. It's awful. It's barbaric. It's disgusting. It's completely indefensible. I love it dearly. But if you want to, if you want to get rid of it because of all the head injuries and the trauma and, and toxic masculinity and all of it, feel free. That's fine. But not because of what happened to DeMar Hamlin that, if you really want to take some steps regarding The likelihood of that injury, of Commodio cortis, protect your kids who play Little League Baseball. Protect your daughters who play softball, your daughters who play baseball. Protect all of your kids who play lacrosse and hockey and get one of those heart protectors because they're much more likely to have something horrible and, and incredibly rare happen to them than an NFL football player. Uh, We talked to Adam Hogue. We talked to Mike Florio. We looked at the Bears' rebuild timeline. And we've got a little bit of breaking news. Matt Eberflus said Justin Fields reported a sore hip on Monday morning. And oh, geez, wouldn't you know it. Nathan Peterman is just going to have to start on Sunday. Amazing how that happens. How you feel, Justin? You sure? How's that hip? Your hip a little sore? Really? Maybe just a little sore. Yeah, I hip, have a hip. Kinda. Yeah, he's got a hip. Oh, you got a hip. Oh, you can't play. You sit over here, Nathan. Go get him now, Go Texans. Go he, Texans.
3: He's got a body. Yeah. All right. It's like having a well knee. Done. He's Ryan, got a knee. Ryan he's Pouls. got a body.
1: I, and just, maybe this wasn't Influenza. Maybe this is Ryan Pauls Say, "Hey, hey, Coach, hey, Flucy." Figure this out, but Fields ain't playing, so that is great, great news.
3: Lifeable tank. It's,
1: uh, this game's gonna suck.
3: I don't know how to do this. Yeah, you're gonna do. be very careful. Okay. <laughs> the pictures are so good. Uh. We have another walrus wrecking shop up in these North Atlantic streets. Well the Norwegian walrus had Freya Fre- was killed. Yeah,
1: Freya had to be euthanized because all she was doing was was sunning herself
3: on people's boats. They killed her. And she had the right of way. Yep. So now there is a walrus named Thor. And he's up in the UK. And he's been at places such as Scarborough and Blythe. Blyth? I don't know. Sage how to say Rosemary it. and Time. And uh, poor old Thor is a juvenile walrus who (laughs) prevented the town's New Year's Eve fireworks from happening. They canceled them in order to protect him. And uh, he's just been doing things like lying on his side and gratifying himself in front of the entire public.
1: Go Thor! (laughs) (laughs) And if you... What do you think of this,
4: huh?
3: If you look, at what the, are you gonna do about it? If you look at the pictures, how's where, it going? Where his hands are, flaps, fins, whatever you flippers, call flippers right? Sure, it's just too funny, and I can't handle it. <laughs> Wait,
1: I gotta look this up now.
3: The pictures are the best, and uh, there was a naturally a big crowd to try to see him, and then parents had to shield their children's eyes. But Thor doesn't care. Thor is living his best walrus life. He's got—it's <laughs> too good. How do they okay? <laughs> like once you see it, you're like, oh, oh no, uh, no, nope. He doesn't care. He just doesn't care. Uh, detailing the incident in Scarborough, the report stated at 11:30 p.m. on 30 December Scarborough. You, you, you people in Europe and your date Mrs... 30 December. I get it. It makes sense, but still. Reported to BDMLR that a walrus was hauled out at Scarborough. And the initial response was, are you joking? A medic from the charity arrived to confirm the sighting of the walrus and that a cordon was put in place while police and other organizations were involved in the response. This picture,
1: I, I swear <laughs> to God, if, I, if I'm if and i Andy Reid and I wake up to this, I'd be like,
3: uh-oh. And just like the happy... Where do they have way, cameras? The happy way he's like holding his head, you know, with his tuss. He's like... Well, I mean, look where his hands are. Yeah, he's like, this is my life now.
1: You want to hear... Forget you guys. You want to hear 30 the...
3: 30 December.
1: This is how you write a lead. This is how you write a lead. This is a writer, a blogger named Daisy Jackson. <laughs> A slightly overweight, self centered beast who went viral for being a wanker this week has finally moved on from the UK, and sadly, I'm not referring to Piers Morgan.
3: Zing! Ow! Wait, but you said the word, but you. I did!
1: I said the word, but I didn't. Dis- See, that's the difference.
3: Verb and noun yeah. or adjective.
1: Oh my god, this picture is just incredible.
3: You just gotta see the pictures. And there's something about the tusks uh, that makes it extra funny. Oh my god. But uh Thor was also agitated by a few noisy vehicles <laughs> with some passing bright lights. And uh, at some point he did decide to sit up, turn around, and slid off into the harbor.
5: Thor.
1: Come on now. Come on, Thor, knock it off.
3: But unlike the jerks in Norway, they made sure to not kill him. But the pictures of <laughs> <laughs> just too good
1: I didn't know it was a walrus thing But congratulations, more power to
3: them I'm a big believer that sea mammals Know how to live Like they just sun themselves on rocks and such Did and you they see my pictures they want. Did you see my video of the sea lion Well I heard your description of it so cute. They hustle you for food, and then they're yeah. like, "Oh, never mind. I'm just gonna slide off here and go somewhere else." Right? There's
1: another boat coming, in. they'll actually give me the rest of what's in the live well.
3: And and your job is to just hang out on a on a sunny spot on a rock. What's not to love? A good job. And they can't move you. I mean, Thor, fly on, you warrior. <laughs>
1: Snowbirds are a common sight in Southern California in winter, except when they're actually a bird. And in this case, a snowy owl in Cypress, California. Crowds of bird watchers are showing up regularly in an Orange County neighborhood to gawk at a snowy owl. Now, here's that. my first thought was, oh no, this is a horrible example of climate change run afoul, sorry,
3: Wow, Dan! But wow, it's
1: it's not because they now believe that it is a an escaped captive bird, or it could have arrived aboard a ship. Now, this time of year, it is possible to see a snowy owl here in Chicago. It is some years when there is what is called an eruption, and they come further south than usual. I have seen one. I have on my list of I have personally spotted a snowy owl here in Chicago. Where right, flying right over. The McFetridge uh, Hockey Rink at California and Addison at night.
3: The Snowy Owl likes hockey?
1: I, apparently so. Talk more hockey! Stop talking. Well, they come from the North. You know, they come from the Bering Strait. Come Patrick Ru- Kane also Russia, has a body. Canada. He's got a body. You know, they're up there. They they, they know how. They're big hockey fans. But, yeah, they, so they have been here. So I'm, I'm actually pleased to hear that they don't think that this was a, a, a natural uh, winter migration of this bird. But we do have a case of a bird in Kentucky that is drawing people from as far away as Wisconsin. And this is something called the pink-footed goose, which is a small short-necked bird, dark brown head and neck, pink legs, a small black bill with a pink band. It is usually found in Greenland, Iceland, and northwestern Europe. So it, this really is a rare sighting. It's, it had never been spotted in Kentucky before November when there was a sighting in Shelby County. And the goose wasn't seen again until just before Christmas when it was spotted swimming in a pond in a farm. And now birders are flocking there to get a look at this pink-footed goose. They're saying it's one of the rarest birds they've ever had. And in Chicago, we refer birders refer to this as weird duck season because there isn't a lot to see around here this time of year except the rare case of a snowy owl. But... I always say, there are. if you like weird ducks, you'll see gold eyes, you'll see buffleheads, heads, and there are some things to be seen if you want to walk the lake and Montrose Point Bird Sanctuary this time of year. There is, there is stuff around here.
3: I know you like a good bird watch. I do. I,
1: and when we were in Mexico, and I was with my brother-in-law, who's really good at it, and he's got great eyes and a great sense and, and just a great knowledge of stuff, and we're both with our little Cornell Merlin bird apps, he identified it was a one-hour walk, and we got 11 different species that we saw in the desert various woodpeckers and thrushes and warblers and there's this incredible looking yellow oriole and there is a a cardinal variant with a with a weird long greek name like philomoxia or something like that 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 looks like a, a cardinal looked in a funhouse mirror and then came out of it i'll show you i'll, I'll look it It's up. really I'll, just I'll Adam Wayne, right? Yeah, no, it's a very it just it's a cardinal that just looks a little off. <laughs> like, some, something went weird with it, but there... It like was, the
3: first drafts of The Simpsons?
1: Yes! It, very, thank you. Like, like those early Tracy Ullman show Simpsons, drew the shaky little Simpsons drawings. F- f- Darn it, I'll look it up. I'll get it too. Anyway, that's High Noon, and...
3: <laughs> if I still have a job after this. Oh, you're fine. Th- just look at the pictures of the walrus. Yes,
1: find. It, th- look up Thor walrus. He
3: just looks very indignant, and... Fine. A
1: happy, maybe a little sleepy, <laughs> depending on when you find him. Right?
3: He I it. just can't imagine like parents saying, "Hey, let's go check out this walrus." And then it's like, "What's he doing?" Oh come My on. Eyes.
1: Come on! We've all had that at the at the at the zoo, right? Uh-oh. Come on! If we'd you take your kids to the zoo and the bonobos, if oh come on! Like the in Mil- the Milwaukee Zoo?
3: I don't have any kids to take to the zoo, Dan.
1: All right. Well. Just shape. we just
3: laugh at it look, like
1: children. Look up uh, look up bonobos behavior. It's and also clothing. I know it is. It's a men's clothing store and I laugh every time I see it because I had the experience with the kids at the Milwaukee Zoo and the bonobos having a day. I mean it's 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 male male, it's male female, it's female female, it's it's any way you want it all across the board. With extra cheese and pepperoni on it. it hey, hey. you have never see anything like that in your life.
3: We're taking that entire clip of audio, right? Like Tanny's already got it converted in the system. Probably. There's no way that didn't just happen. Are we going to talk about Tanny and Shane doing the impersonations or no?
1: You want to replay it? Oh yeah. Okay, but we, we have we have White Sox talk scheduled next, but they were really funny yesterday.
3: I think it should be a part of White Sox talk.
1: Perfect. We'll do that next on the score.